0: The reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 19, uh, reading verses 24 to 29. I invite your reverent attention and hearing and faith uh, uh, these uh, uh, verses in uh, Genesis 19. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to... Uh, Join me again for a time of prayer. Oh, Father, we come to you again. We bow our heads uh, because we are in the presence of our great and holy God, our creator. We worship you. We give thanks, oh God, uh, for all of the uh, uh, immeasurable greatness of the gifts that have come to us. Every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies for us in Christ. We worship Christ, he who set aside the glories of heaven to take upon himself the form of a servant, uh, to render his life uh, in obedience to the Father and in love to redeem unto himself a people. And we are thankful that we have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of marvelous light. Uh, Thank you for the gift of the Spirit the giver of new life, through whom we have the gift of the new birth, that we might have the eyes of faith to behold the loveliness of Christ uh, when men of the world esteem Him not and turn their faces from Him, but not us. We highly esteem Christ. And thank you for uh, uh, ears to hear his voice, hearts longing to follow him, uh, though imperfectly to be sure, but we have that uh, dealt with in the forgiveness we have in him. Thank you for your fatherly care day by day, uh, thy presence and the gift of daily bread. We have returned an offering and we ask your blessings upon it uh, to expand the kingdom of heaven and to meet uh, the welfare of the needs of others. We do ask that you would remember uh, those among us who are ill, that it may be well with their bodies as it is so with their souls. Uh, We pray that your blessings upon our homes, our children and grandchildren. Uh, We pray your saving grace for them all. We pray your uh, protection For us, our families, and this church and congregation. Protect us from every danger in this fallen world, particularly those that uh, endanger the soul. Bless us uh, to be salt and light in this place and time where you have put us. Uh, Pray that you would encourage the downhearted, strengthen the weak, embolden the timid, guide the perplexed, and as we all come, in weakness and needs and uh, the various distresses that press upon us. You know our needs. Minister to each of them as you see best for our welfare and your glory. O Lord, make haste. O God, make haste to help us. And now, Father, bless your word to us, that word firmly fixed forever in the heavens. May it rain down upon us, not return void unto you. It never does. May it go forth in power and accomplish all and every purpose that you have for us this morning. Preemingly that we might grow in grace and faith and the knowledge of Christ and that we might more and more walk in his ways and commandments. These things we ask in his name. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers.
1: So one of the things become fairly evident in this text is that God is uh, very gracious to uh, Abraham. And uh, that grace, the sense of it, is intensified as we uh, watch the execution of judgment uh, on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, But as you know, uh, there's also a present spiritual judgment that's already in the world. We know there's an end time finality of judgment at the end of the age, but there is also present judgment. Uh, And that's, we don't think of it in these terms, but that is just as terrifying. Um, And we need to, I think, recall and remember how terrifying the judgment of God is, whether it be his present spiritual judgment on the sons of disobedience or... Uh, The final, last judgment that will fall upon the earth. So in verses 24 to 26, uh, the judgment on the cities is violent uh, and effective in destroying everyone. Everyone outside of the covenant of the grace of God. No exceptions. Everyone. So once the uh, tiny remnant, and I I use the word tiny kind of loosely because uh, we're going to study subsequent chapters, some tragic events in um, uh, the life of uh, Lot. Even in this chapter, there's a very tragic uh, judgment expressed upon uh, his family. Uh, So the remnant is shrinking. Reminds us of the prayer of Abraham. Lord, if there's, if there's ten righteous in the city, surely there's ten righteous. We spare the city, I'll spare the city. Well, we're, we're learning how uh, the numbers are really shrinking. And even that should terrify us. So the tiny remnant is safe. It rains fire and brimstone on the twin cities. I remind you that we have read in the text that the twin cities cry out. Well, cities don't cry out, but it's personification. They're crying out to God because of the uh, great, great evil that they are practicing. And God answers the cry of the cities. Now think about that today in America. I think about some of the very tragic cities that are known for awful, awful things. Are those cities personified, crying out for God to come and bring judgment? Perhaps so. Certainly an application. Not in the text, but it's an application of it. Uh, God answered the cry of the twin cities. And God's going to answer uh, the cry of all cities. But because of wickedness and lawlessness uh, that is part of uh, the end times. Well, God answers the cry and the Creator commands. And the text reads, It rains. It rains fire and brimstone. Evokes uh, the memory of uh, uh, Genesis chapter seven. Um, it uh, it rains and great flood um, envelops uh, the earth. I'm reminded personally of the terrifying words um, of, of the text that when the door of the ark was shut, every hope of salvation was closed except for those on the ark. The door was shut. It's kind of a terrifying concept. Once Lot is safe, Uh, the door is shut and it rains literally fire and brimstone. I'll certainly remind you that uh, there, is, there is absolutely no safety whatsoever from Christ, only in Christ. Remember the words of uh, uh, when second coming uh, Revelation uh, chapter 6, Uh, It's a terrifying, terrifying reality. And uh, people begin to cry out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And then we have the rhetorical question, who is able to stand? No one. Is able to stand against it. It's very interesting to me in the in the context of both, Genesis chapter seven, here in the text before us. Uh, nature is a weapon system to God. He simply commands, and nature obeys him. And there's no defense. I mean, I, I I understand that we we build defenses against nature. Um, uh, we have wonderful scientific uh, meteorologists that warn us and tell us and um, we can uh, buy uh, safe shelters put in our homes. The number of people on my street that uh, jackhammered their garages and put shelters in. And they, I get it. That some of the violent storms that come to Oklahoma are, It always reminds me, uh, particularly in the springtime, the violence of judgment, the violence of nature. And then the terrifying words in the door of the ark were shut. Once Lot is safe, the door of the Ark of Safety is shut. And uh, God marshals uh, his creation to answer the perversion. Uh, of the twin cities. And think about it, what is the perversion? Well, his creation of them, male and female, his mandate to go and advance his kingdom, be fruitful and multiply, uh, his institutions, provisions of grace, for example, marriage, this city, these cities have trashed. Uh, so judgment falls upon them. Uh, text is clear the origin of the rain notice verse 24 from the lord and from heaven heaven just commands nature and it marshals this incredible firestorm the uh, the origin should terrify us because god is a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. Uh, And who is able to stand against the wrath of the Lamb of God? No one. Only those who are in the Lamb are saved. But there's also great judgment upon the individual. Think of these entire cities destroyed. We escape the fact that there's also judgment upon individuals. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 29. I want to make this point uh, and perhaps even amplify it a little bit. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 29, uh, in verse verse 18. So, warning against um, idolatry. Uh, Lest there be any among you man or woman, or family or tribe, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and to serve the gods of those nations, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. So he's offering a warning of judgment and wrath upon the idolater. What's interesting is the presumption of the idolater. Notice the presumption verse 19. This should be when he hears the words of this curse. He will boast saying, I have peace, so I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. So he says, that doesn't bother me. Uh, I live in peace. no judgment going to get get me. It's never going to happen to me. And then it happens. Notice verse 20, the Lord shall never be willing to forgive him. But rather, the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man. And every curse which is written in this book will rest on him. The Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. So uh, they burn to do sin. Notice the imagery God burns in jealousy. And the fire is going to burn them. Notice the text no forgiveness. I was reminded of this reading uh, this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 3, Sons of Eli. The prophet tells us they were worthless men. They were sons of the priest. Uh, They would take uh, part of the uh, sacrifices that the men would bring in offering to God, Many respects, uh, take it from the priests. Uh, so they would you know, bring, you know, great, you know, grass-fed beef tenderloin. They would get it for themselves, and then in perversion they would lay with the women who would come to serve at the door of the temple. Not worried about anything. Notice first Samuel chapter 3 verse 14 therefore i have sworn to the house of eli that the iniquity of eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever there was no atonement for them withdrawn forever we have a prevailing notion in america that we can sin with impunity These men thought the same thing. If you marry Deuteronomy 29 with the sons of Eli, we're safe. I mean, this notion of judgment and then atonement is withdrawn from us. It's the most horrifying, terrifying concept. Save the finality of the end time judgment. Withdrawn from the sons of Eli. I think it's withdrawn from many Today. I can't tell you who, because God doesn't give me that information. But it's withdrawn. Uh, we laugh at it to our peril. People think, well, you know, when I'm finished with sowing, whatever it is I want to sow, I can turn to God. He will forgive me. And that's, that's why we keep God around, isn't it? Like we keep our pets around to make us happy. We keep God around to forgive us anytime we demand he forgive us. Not so the sons of Eli or the idolater of Deut- uh, Deuteronomy 29. And uh, uh, the people witness returning to that chapter. Verses 22 and 23 of Deuteronomy 29. Now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land. And when they see the plagues of the land and diseases which the Lord has afflicted, it will say, All its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unknown and unproductive, and no grass grows upon it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. The plagues fell upon them. Spiritually destroys them. Brimstone uh, is also translated as sulfur or a reference to combustibles. Great, great fire. It's literally a firestorm. It's very interesting that uh, Prophet Isaiah, chapter 30, verses 33, uh, uses the brimstone and fire as a simile of the destroying breath of God. He breathes upon him, and the fire consumes him. So the result is, verse 25, uh, returning to Genesis chapter 19, is uh, God overthrows the city. The Hebrew verb is literally turns them upside down in destruction. And notice the object, because I think it's very, very important. Um, all those dwelling in the cities. New American Standard translate inhabitants, but it's literally those dwelling in the cities. Uh, that verb, the very verb in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is used in uh, the book of the Revelation uh, in a very terrifying way. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, uh, verse 13, for example, reads, And I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell upon the earth. Because of the judgments that are coming. The earth dwellers. It's a very unique way to think about it. All the idolaters today, uh, all of the people that are living perverse lifestyles, condemned in the Scriptures, in violation to the institutions of God and the creation of God. Earth dwellers. They dwell upon the earth. That's That's their home. And by the way, the best they will get is on this earth. And even that will be taken from them in everlasting fire. Revelation chapter 13, uh, um, in in verse 8, and all who dwell upon the earth will worship uh, him, the uh, the beast, um, personification of spiritual evil. uh, Worship him. In other words, they are the idolaters those who dwell upon the earth, the earth dwellers. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Their names aren't even in the book. Like the sons of Eli. No atonement forever for them. The... um, concept is uh, terrifying, uh, and it, it's also a reminder of spiritual reality of judgment because God is dispatching um, demonic forces to gather them. So, we don't think a lot about judgment, but but perhaps we should. Because it is a present reality, notwithstanding the finality of uh, the greater aspect of it yet to come. And so God fires the earth dwellers because of their idolatry and lights them up. Uh, I would remind you to remember, you, you live on this earth, but you're not an earth dweller. You're simply passing through. You're pilgrims. Conversely, the verb to dwell reminds us that God will dwell with us in heaven. And it's important to reckon the concept that we're simply passing through. We don't partake of their activities, their idolatry, their perversions. Um, In fact, spiritually, we're pressing a little bit harder on the gas pedal. Uh, Praying... God come because of the outcry of the cities. Great. evokes the memory of Lot who moved into the city of destruction uh, and the dramatic rescue of him that we studied last week. I'm I'm always amazed. I read the text. Lot hesitates. And so the angels grab his arms. and daughters. As if they have to compel them. Uh, and again more terrifying really than all of this is the spiritual judgments that are occurring now uh, God unleashing demonic forces portending the end uh, it's interesting that uh, concept of fire and brimstone is is, uh, is used in the book of the revelation as uh, as accelerants Portending present and yet future judgment. Yeah. Revelation 9:17. This uh, I saw the vision of the horses. Those who sat upon them, the riders, had breastplates the color of fire and brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. Out of their mouths. And a third of mankind was killed by these plagues by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeds out of their mouths. Uh, same thing, Revelation 14,9 to 11. Another angel, third one followed them, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead and upon his hand, he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God." Which is mixed in full strength, the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone. Uh, Revelation fourteen eleven, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest, day or night. And those who worship the beast and the image, and whoever receives uh, his uh, Mark uh, full measure, not diluted, and they'll be made to drink uh, the cup of wrath. So, John in the book of the Revelation, therefore, is telling us that. Uh, Genesis 19, destruction of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is a type of the end time judgment. Uh, but it's even worse because uh, the wrath has begun. The unleashing of demonic forces. We don't think in those terms, uh, at least I don't think we do, but certainly John did. Uh, unleashing of demonic forces present, deceiving people, thinking what? Well, I'm safe. I mean, those guys at Grace Bible Church preaching about judgment. I oh, come on. This is 2023. I mean, we're we're much beyond such. It means they're already drinking the judgment because they're thinking they're safe when they're not. So Moses and John are warning us to keep yourself for the Lord and be careful what you give your heart to. Because in, in Lot's case, uh, his... His compromise is transformational. And as such, God has to mount a rescue operation to pull him out of the city. Literally. Remind you of, of the, the warning of the book of Revelation uh, chapter 14. Uh, in verse 12, because here is salvation. There's always a gospel. Always a reminder. Revelation 14. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep The commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. They're passing through saying, I don't believe their myths and their lies. I have my faith in Jesus because there's no safety from Him, only in Him. Uh, But the general destruction upon the city is, uh, is also particular to the individual. No one escaped, not even uh, the professors of faith. This reality is captured in in, uh, Lot's wife, isn't it? Uh, She disobeys the command of the angels who have explicitly commanded her not to look back. But she looks back. And instantly, she's taken in judgment. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Very interesting to me, if you think about Lot's wife, I mean, she, all of her life married to Lot, she kind of hangs around the faith. Kind of hangs around. But in an instant, she betrays what is in her heart. That her faith was false, and she's taken instantly. she's taken in a moment when there's no time whatsoever to confess and repent. Instantly, I had a good friend of mine say, "Well, religion is something you do when you get old, and kind of done the things throughout your youth that you want to do." Then when you get old and infirm, have a little bit of time to read your Bible. Yeah. Got got plenty of time. He didn't have plenty of time. I mean what was? Think I wonder. I know the text doesn't tell us, and I know speculation's not inspired. But what was Lot's wife thinking? Oh, this can't be happening. I mean, really? Or was it? Oh my. I forgot to pack the china in the silver. I don't know what she was thinking. But she's taken in judgment. By the way, be careful what you treasure and value and give your heart to. And it comes kind of insidiously, I think. Well, I've got... You know i grew up in a christian home I've, I've got classes to go to and a, a career and i understand all those things uh, go to college university or trade school advance your education some way on the job training all those things are very important and you have to have a career you have to work i mean <clears throat> at least most of us do and uh you things you have to do and tickets you have to punch and uh Certainly, it's a part of life. You have to do those things. But be very careful of telling God, I've got to do those things to your exclusion. A man's got to live. Doesn't he? No. A man doesn't have to live. He has to die and give account to God. That's all you really have to do. You don't have to graduate from the university. You don't have to have a home. What you have to do someday, though, is die and answer. It's uh, very interesting that salt is, uh, is used in the Old Testament as a sign of the curse. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 and 6 Thus says the Lord God, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. For well, he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony places in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Judges chapter 9, verse 45 Abimelech fought against the city all that day and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. Then he raised the city and sowed it with salt. So not even plant life would grow there anymore. It's total destruction. It is worthwhile saying uh, that it's very important to recognize that Lot's husband couldn't save her. Uh, Abraham, the great patriarch, couldn't save her. And so she's whisked away. I never cease to be terrorized by words in the Gospel. Uh, At the end of the age, God dispatches His angels and they gather the non-elect and carry them away. Two wives working at home. One is taken. One is left. No time. No time. It's terrifying. And it is a reminder that there's no safety from Jesus only only in him uh, reminded of uh, uh, the Psalter psalm 9 in verse verse 17The wicked will return to hell very interesting spiritual reality and a novel entitled A Severed Wasp. This beautiful reminder of this world. The author mentions an essay by Orwell who has the graphic picture of the lostness of man. Orwell describes a wasp sucking jam on his plate and then he cuts it in half. The wasp is still alive, evidenced by a tiny stream of jam trickling out of its severed esophagus. Only when the wasp tries to fly away does it grasp the reality of what has happened. It's dead. No life. Cannot flee. Cannot fly away. Because it's been severed. Reminder, the terrible reality of present spiritual judgment. Think about it in terms of the words of the apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. And Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me. Demas was a companion of the apostle. Something caught him and he failed a basic spiritual lesson from Genesis 19. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus preached that sermon. Remember Lot's wife. First John two fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I mean, most people today who cares, but they forget Lot's wife. Uh, illustration Matthew uh, chapter twenty five. A uh, great reminder. Uh, terrifying parable because of the context of it, Matthew twenty five. Uh, verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins that took their lamps and went out to meet the Lord, meet the bridegroom. Who else the Lord? Uh, getting ready for the return of the Lord. And uh, they're all professing Christians. Lot's wife was a professing Christian. And then they run out of oil. Have to go in town, buy some. The bridegroom comes. Uh, Then they buy their oil and then they try to get into the wedding feast. But the Lord says, I I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Uh, The end of the sermon, or the end of the parable is... Verse 13, therefore I'll be on the alert, for you do not know the day or the hour. It's so always plenty of time. Get my exams out of the way. Uh, get my union dues all paid off, and then I'll have time. There may be no time. There was no time for Lot's wife. It's a reminder do not be unprepared, or really to stay ready. Keep exercising the means of the grace of God using judgment to purify your faith. Draw closer to the Lord, not farther away from Because if you properly remember Lot's wife, you understand that her forgetfulness was terminal. And that it is true there is no safety from the Lord, only in him. It is it is worthwhile looking at that appendage to the sermon of Luke chapter 17 and verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Now notice the moral application. Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life shall preserve it yet alive. Life's about me. Get everything as much as I can, as fast as I can for me. It's a person who loves his life. We lose it in service to the Lord. Why do we do that? Because we remember Lot's wife. The judgment is also a reminder of God's grace to His uh, covenant people Genesis uh, 19, verse 27 to 29. Um, Abraham looks toward the twin cities and sees a thick smoke. And he knows that God was true to his word. God had promised he was going to destroy the city. God has promised to fire this earth and all of the idolaters who keep their hearts for themselves, who pervert his word and his institutions. And you get lost up in the folly that <laughs> never happened to me. They've never read Luke 17, 32. What happened to Lot's wife. Some type of nuclear cloud. I mean, we've all seen those pictures of the bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, the nuclear... In some manner or form, that's the way it was over the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham sees it from afar because he's distant from it. So uh, but in this text is a beautiful majestic word of promise. Um, Verse twenty nine came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered. God remembered Abraham. Uh, Majestic words. Uh, Of course, you and I know that God God doesn't forget figurative language that something majestic is about to happen. All the prayers
0: of Abraham.
1: God, now He's going to answer them. He remembers him. It's the same thing in uh, Genesis, uh, same verb, same concept in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. God blots out every living thing that was upon the face of the land. The flood swept away everyone. Plenty of time. Starts raining. Well, let's go inside and play and have another party and do whatever we need to do. It starts to rain. The doors of the ark are shut and there is no time. Time is gone. Floods came, sweeps them all away. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah. Figurative of an impending action that's about to take place. Encompasses Abraham's prayer to save the righteous, rescues righteous Lot. Uh, I I love the text, 2 Peter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the righteous temptation greatest rescue operation rescuing the righteous who keep their hearts for him and don't give it to other gods much less themselves it illustrates that God is faithful to his covenant promises and so what's so what's nearby the birth of Isaac it illustrates the critical importance of Abraham as a covenant head pointing to us Christ is our greater covenant head again a reminder of the gospel? Hebrews uh, chapter seven verses twenty-two to twenty-five. Much more, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant, and the former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence, he is also able to save forever. Those who draw near to God through Him. Compelling notion of the gospel to draw near to God through Jesus Christ because there is no safety from Him, only in Him. Why should we draw, draw near? Because of our Lord's line in His sermon, Luke chapter 17. You remember Lot's wife. Power paragraph, of course, is meant to purify us. Judgment on this scale is uh, terrifying, as is the presence of demonic deception, which is being unleashed now. We are living in the end times, and uh, the, the deception is pronounced. Even in churches. A number of years ago, I was reading some evangelical scholars who were denying um, that uh, hell is forever. So they come up with a concept of annihilationism. God just simply annihilates in a moment all those outside of Christ. I mean, because, I mean, why, why would they, well, I understand a measure why they would say such folly, because hell is such a terrifying concept. Who was able to stand against it? So surely God is not God of wrath, but author of the book of Hebrews says he's a consuming fire. I once had a Methodist minister in the church where she was an associate pastor that there really is no hell, bow socks. I mean, the topic of her lesson was, how do you, how do you tell your children about hell? Well, you really don't need to tell them about hell because there's no such thing. Oh, really? So remember, ladies and gentlemen, Lot's wife. And the great grace of God who remembered Noah and Abraham, who remembers the prayers of our Savior together of the elect of Christ, uh, who prays for them, who gathers them, and uh who loses none? I love the text uh, John chapter 13 verse 1. Uh, he loved his own out of the end, out of the world and he loved them to the end, to the end, never letting up the majesty of his love. Uh, great majesty of our Lord's high priestly prayer, John, uh, John chapter 17. Uh, our Lord is praying, and he's, uh, he's praying for his people. Uh, certainly encompasses his disciples, but we know at the end state of the prayer it goes way beyond, even to, even to Gentiles. Uh, and so, John chapter 17, verse 12: I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me, and I guarded them and not one of them perished. That is why you draw near to God through Jesus Christ, because none who are in Him will perish. And in uh, the words of the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, uh, He saves them forever. Uh, Loves them to the end, and not one perishes. Why should we be so quick to draw near? Because as God's spiritual people, we remember Lot's wife. And we also remember that God remembers His own. And thank God that He does. Because He makes us safe in His Son.